Good morning. I'm excited to talk to you about Ecclesiastes 4 today. So, as maybe you're turning there, um, some of you may know that my family and I, we, we went out to, to Utah a couple weeks ago. The place is gorgeous. It's almost surreal in, in how beautiful it is. So, as, as family and I are doing some of these hikes and canyoneering and rappelling and whatnot, um, I started thinking about the, the dangers of, of hiking or canyoneering alone. And I started thinking about Aaron Ralston. Some of you may know that name. If you don't know the name, you'll remember the story. He was the guy in 2003 that was hiking and canyoneering uh, in, in Utah, and his, his arm became wedged in a rock in the canyon wall. He was by himself. So after five days of mental, physical anguish, he came to the decision, like, if I'm, if I'm going to survive this, I'm going to have to cut off my arm. So he did that. He did it. So to, to this day, Aaron Ralston is, is celebrated as this paragon of like independence and, and strength, self-determination, surviving. Okay, that's, that's how he's lifted up. I'm not going to argue with any of that. I'm just going to submit to you there was something better. And that would have been to be hiking with a friend. It, just a, a world of difference in five days and deciding you've got to break your ulna and radius and, and cut off your arm versus, oh, I'm sorry, you're stuck. I'll be back in a few hours with help. There's a world of difference there for Aaron Ralston. So the, for us, the same thing. We, we see this in, in Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one. We'll see that community is better than isolation. It's all over chapter 4, but it's not just here. This is a story of, of all of Scripture. I mean, if you, you go back to the beginning, and as, as a father's creating, he's saying, this was good, this was good. When's the first time he said, this is not good? You, tell me, anybody. Man's alone, Genesis 2.18. The, the, it's not good for man to be alone. From the beginning, it's been about community. Community with the Father, Son, the Spirit, community with each other. We'll see this in our passage today, the main point being from the lowest suffering to the highest success, it's better to have community than to be alone. So if you'll read along with me here in Ecclesiastes 4, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and the striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there's no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? 
This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and a wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving after the wind. Father, please, by your spirit, open your word to us. Open our eyes, our our hearts. Help us see uh, the truth of your love for us in community, the wisdom of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll walk through the passage. We're, we're going to kind of take the bookends of, of the, the suffering and the oppressed and the king. And we're going to see how both suffering and success are better in community. Then we'll look at contentment. Contentment being better than, than envy, better than laziness, better than endless striving. And then finally, bringing it together that community is better than isolation in verses 9 through 12. So you, you'll remember that, that the preacher, Solomon, he's offering us observations about life, about life under the sun. He mentions that four times in, in our passage. It's all over Ecclesiastes, this life under the sun, life in a fallen world. At the end of chapter three, he's contemplating this mystery of death. Like, why is it that the beast of the field and the crown jewel of God's creation, mankind, why do they both die? Why do they turn to dust. We heard last week that death is the great equalizer for both kings and possums. Chapter four, it was a great line from Chris last week. It just really stuck with me. Chapter four, he's continuing his observations of of life under the sun. He's, He's showing us, he's talking to us about the oppression that he sees. He's talking to us about work, labor, life, leadership, but with a particular emphasis. He wants us to see something. And we know this because eight times in this passage, we see this thought of being alone, this thought of of not having community. And then he proceeds to tell us at least three times that community is better than being alone, better than isolation. Laced all through this passage, we, we again hear the concept of vanity. And vanity can't mean meaningless. It, it can't mean futility because if, if it's meaningless, then something can't be better than something else. So we're, we're left with the right translation of hevel, okay? Mystery, enigma, vexation. So suffering and success are better in community. Verses one through three, we see how life really is under the sun. Suffering and oppression this is one of those aspects about Ecclesiastes that I love. It's, it's probably unlikely that most of you would gather willingly to hear about oppression 
or gather in, in a growth group, a small group of, of believers, like, you know what, we should just talk about death, which is what we did last week in small group. I love it. I love Ecclesiastes because it pushes us in this direction. It pushes us to take a hard look at topics that are challenging, realities that we'd rather ignore. It's the wisdom of God to have us quiet our minds, set aside distractions, and to think about his word, to meditate upon hard topics, a topic like oppression. Oppression can be defined as the seeking after profit and power without regard to the nature, needs, or rights of other people. If we took a prolonged look at, at oppression around the world in Solomon's day and our day, we couldn't stand it. It, it, would, it would most likely break our minds to consider all of the oppression. We wouldn't be able to, to handle it. It, it. It's why in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, increased knowledge leads to increased sorrow. That's why he says it would be better to be dead than to deal with oppression. It would be better to have never been born, just blissfully ignorant of evil done under the sun. So oppression, it's, it's terrible enough on its own, but, but Solomon wants us to see an aspect here that makes it even worse, that increases the horror of it, and that's isolation. So in verse 1, there was no one to comfort them, no one to see their tears being alone increases the pain and desperation of, of the one who's suffering. There's some of you in here that have experienced that or potentially experiencing that right now. Does somebody see me? Do, do they know that I'm suffering? Isolation increases the pain of suffering. Some in here could testify to exactly what that's like. But then you have the opposite end of the spectrum. You, you have a king a king where there's no, there's no end to the people that he's leading. This rags to riches story in 13 through, through 16. Some think that Solomon could be referring to King David here. Perhaps even the Pharaoh because he's moving for, or not Pharaoh, but Joseph because he's, he's moved from prison to a place of, of leadership. Yet later he's forgotten. The point though, it's not, it's not who. The point in 13 through 16 is, is the contrast. The contrast Young, old, poor, rich, prison, throne, wise, foolish. The main contrast is humility and pride. It's based on whether or not one will take advice. Verse 13, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. So what connects these two? The sufferer with the, the ruler, the sufferer with the success. It's the need for community in order to take advice like a wise king or to be comforted when you suffer, you must be known by others. So that begs the question then, are you humble enough to allow others to know you? Are you willing to let people in to your successes, into your suffering? Who in your life knows you well enough to say, dude, you're acting right now like the king of your own little kingdom. Does somebody have permission to do that in your life? Have you given somebody permission to, to see your tears and to comfort you in your suffering? It takes humility. 
You need people who know your strengths and your weaknesses. People who know your tendencies when you're under pressure. People who can tell when you're running from God or towards him. This true test of humility, though, is when that advice is spoken, do you receive it? Do you heed it, especially when it goes against what you want? Will you listen when a friend loves you enough to say the truth to you, even when it's not what you want to hear? So you may be all right, intellectually art. I got you. I agree. I agree with you. I've got to be humble. There's, there's wisdom in, in heeding advice. But I, I would ask you to ask the Spirit to search your heart here. We're easily deceived. So when's the last time that you remember somebody actually correcting you on something? When's the last time that somebody corrected you on something and how did you receive it? Would people close to you in your life say, yes, he's, he's teachable. He's somebody that would receive truth and correction. And I used to love to ask that question uh, when interviewing people at Ruby Tuesday. I wouldn't ask it like that. Are you humble or teachable? They'd be like, what are you talking about? Um, they'd be like, hey, that's church language. Just come to church with me. No, I would ask, hey, tell me about the last time that you received negative feedback on something that was really important to you. How did you receive it? I wanted to hear. I wanted to, to know. Is this person going to, to blame others or were they able to receive that correction and then act on it? That's a person I wanted on my team at Ruby's. It's a question that I'd, I always ask prospective elders. Tell me the last time that you were corrected on something. Tell me the, the last time that you were, you were taught, that you changed your position on something. I'm asking proof to me that you're humble. There's no room in any type of leadership, especially church leadership, for foolish pride, puffed up conceit. We need humility a gift that only the Spirit can bring. So the flip side of listening to advice, the wisdom of listening, is the wisdom of giving. So for, for you advice givers in here, parents, I'm talking, okay. <laughs> for you advice givers in here, what, what is the advice? What is the counsel that you give? Is, is it more often about your preferences and, and what you want or does it point the person that you're talking to, to Christ in, in his sufficiency? More to the point, are, are you a person willing to speak truth? Because it, it's so much easier to listen, to give the sympathetic ear. I got it. I, I'm the type of friend who will bring it. Tell me. Share your stuff with me. I'll listen. But then you find it challenging to speak truth when they veer off into sin. It's so much easier to human nature for us to commiserate and go, man, that sounds really, really hard. I'm sorry. That may be a good start, but to, to speak truth, you have to be willing to love that person more than you fear offending them. You have to be willing to love truth more than you fear them. Speaking truth in community requires humility and courage to love truth more than you fear rejection. So humble. What's the difference here with this king? Humility. 
What's the difference with the person who's suffering? Are you humble enough to be seen and share that suffering? The humility continues. Are you humble enough to receive advice and to speak it? So second here, contentment is better than envy, laziness, and endless striving. Endless striving here. So it may not be quite as obvious in in four through eight, but the the need for community, it's still there. It's most obvious in in eight as as the person is, is working alone. He's striving, endlessly striving, doesn't even know why but the need for community is still here. Because if, if your tendency is envy, if your tendency is laziness, if your tendency is endless striving, you may not see it. You, you need community to calibrate you, to say you're veering off in one trajectory or another. We need people to help us think rightly about our work and our motivations. You see in verse 4, Four, four. Um, then I saw that all toil, all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is vanity, striving after the wind. Envy here. Sometimes I'm thinking about envy. I'm like, what's the difference between jealousy and, and envy? Jealousy is that, that fear of something that I love, I'm going to lose it. Okay, that's jealousy. Envy is, man, I love what you got. I want it. It's that old sin of, of coveting. There's the difference between envy and jealousy. New Testament writers, they list envy repeatedly as a sin that shouldn't characterize Christian community. There are so many reasons that according to Scripture, Christians should be known by our love. One of them is right from 1 Corinthians 13, 4, that love triumphs over envy. And just practically speaking, it's so much harder to want what someone else has and to celebrate when they lose it if you love them. If you love them, you want what's good for them, not the good that they have for yourself. So how do we identify envy in our own heart? Because it's sneaky. It's, it's sneaky. How do you feel when someone experiences success that, that you don't? This, this quote from Gibson is so helpful. A good friend can share in your sorrows and failures. A true friend shares in your successes and joy. Are you the type of friend who by the Spirit, again, I'm not telling you to conjure this up in your own strength. This has to be Spirit-given. It's natural to be envious. It's supernatural to not be. So by the Spirit, are you mature enough to truly delight in your friend's success? specifically successes that you personally want. You're dying for it, and somebody else got it. So by the Spirit, can you rejoice in what they have and you don't? Where is the Spirit exposing places that you feel inadequate because somebody has what you don't? Maybe when you've even managed to get it, how long did it satisfy? How much did it satisfy? until you needed something else. So then Solomon, okay, we're having a conversation with him. All right, so envy, that's not the way to go. What should I do? Should I just walk away from work, walk away from, from trying, walk away from skill, from work, from ambition, just fold my hands and be lazy? Verse five says no, in a very graphic way. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. So we may think of laziness and be like, you know what, that's, that's one of those 
kind of victimless sins. If I'm lazy, who's, who's it hurting really? I mean, it's right there in, in the passage in verse 5. I mean, he's devouring himself if, if he's lazy. But we know as Christians that the greatest command is to love God and love our neighbor. So I'd submit to you via this quote that laziness is actually a way of hating our neighbor. Laziness is not victimless. When we're being lazy, we're depriving the people that we're in relationship with. We're depriving them of our gifts, love, service, time. Laziness, that's not an option for us. Okay, Solomon, help me out here. The next option, endless manic striving. Verse 5 shows us the sloth who folds his hand. Verse 6 describes this two-fisted, hard-charging, take-no-prisoners, I-am-what-I-do mentality is just striving after the wind. Think about that for a second. The, the, it, perhaps it's in that workplace where you, you are striving so much for that promotion, that, that raise, that project to, to go through. And, and so much of your significance hangs on rejection or acceptance of it. You're thinking through that lens of I am what I do. Solomon says it's striving after the wind. Verse 8, he goes on to describe this workaholic who has no family, has no friends. Perhaps the most bleak aspect of verse 8 is he doesn't even stop to think. He doesn't even ask why. Who am I striving for? What am I working for? What pleasure am I depriving myself? Why am I even doing this? He doesn't, he's so busy, he doesn't stop to ask those questions. For some, this, this way of thinking, this endless striving, maybe it's not something you chose. It's a pattern of your heart that you fell into. I don't know. Maybe you watched your dad, your mom strive. You thought that's the way that it should be. That's what I should be doing. That's what it means to be successful. Work, hard charging, go get it. You never stop to ask yourself why you do what you do. So whether it's hands folded in laziness, whether it's two-fisted aggressiveness, you may not see these tendencies. So you got to ask yourself, how does my spouse see me? How do my children see me? How do those closest to me in relationship see me? Based on my actions or inactions, what would they say that I value more than anything? What do they see me day after day striving for endlessly? And there's your answer. Where is this happening in your heart? So envy, laziness, manic busyness, not the wisest actions. We find our answer in verse 6. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Keep mentioning the hands here. Look at the balance. You had the folded hands of laziness. You had the aggressive, aggressive two-fisted, hard-charging, and now you've got balance. One hand that's full of quietness. And the whole concept there is, is, is calm, content. Some here this morning, we, we've got to hear this. We need to stop chasing the wind, to stop wishing our life away. It will be better when 
if I get this, if I have that, if I only had what she has or he has. The challenge for us is to live the life that God has gifted you with instead of longing for the life that you may never have. And if you got it, you couldn't control it anyway. I can, I can hear you because it's in my own heart. That's easy for you to say, Art, you're, you're the preacher. You're up there preaching it. It's easy to say. It's easy to maybe hear, but how do I do it? Believer, this is, this is where you pray. This is where you pray and you ask the Spirit to help you. You have been given the third person of the Trinity to help you see what's true, to obey. And, to, and thankfully, we're not left to figure out what contentment is on our own because we might make that into anything. So we've been given God's Word. And we look at 1 Timothy 6, offers specific wisdom to the envious, manic, striver. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. Brothers and sisters, true contentment cannot be found in a possession or a person that's in the world. So it's, it's striving after the wind to look for it there. So what is this mystery of godliness? 1 Timothy 3.16, the mystery of godliness is the person of Jesus Christ. Only in Christ can we be truly content. It's the only place. Okay, so you accept that truth. It's fine. Let's, let's keep working. This is where I thank God for Philippians 4. Philippians 4.11 specifically, because Paul says, I learned contentment. I learned it. That's a big deal to me because I'm an all or nothing, black or white. I'm either content or I'm not. Why am I not content in Christ yet? I know it, I believe it, it's, it's true. Why am I not content? Because I'm learning it. Because God is super smart and he's super patient with us. And he knows that this isn't a concept that we can just embrace and have it. It's a, it's a lifetime of learning. How? Being brought low, being blessed with plenty in whatever circumstance. He's teaching us to be content in Christ. So the way that works out is the next time, a hard experience, the next time you're tempted to say, why me? Why me, God? Why are you doing this? Instead, it's a thank you. Thank you for exposing my heart to a place that I was, I was looking for satisfaction. I was looking for contentment. Thank you that it let me down so that I can more fully trust you. Thank you for this hard circumstance. I'm not saying that this is easy, that we didn't come to, to wisdom literature for easy. <laughs> we came to be shown that we have to depend on the Holy Spirit and the sufficiency of Christ. So there's a better way than to live in isolation. There's a better way than going it alone. It's a better way than envy, laziness, and striving. It's a better way is to embrace that two are better than one. Whether you're in the lowest place, suffering, whether you're in the highest success, it's better to be in community than to be alone. Nine through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow 
But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So sometimes this, this passage gets, gets quoted at, at weddings. If it was quoted at yours, I'm, I'm not knocking you. Great. I'm just saying that it's, it's not limited to, to marriage. Solomon is talking about all of life. All of it is done better in community. We know this intellectually. We know this historically. Anthropologists would tell us that it was groups of individuals that came together in a community to form civilization. It was safer that way, more productive. We know that biblically, isolation is foolish. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire He breaks out against all sound judgment. We know theologically that that community is better than isolation. We're talking about this right now in in the Trinity class, which still will meet second hour Chris's teaching it, so please still go. We know the very character of the Trinity. It's relational. It's this perfect relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. Our God is not this single solitary being who needed to create us in order to learn how to love or in order to be loved in return. He's always been loving. Father loving the Son, Son loving the Father, Spirit reflecting it, always. So it's just like Him to create us in His image to be relational, to be in community. So then why do we avoid it? Introverts unite. <laughs> why? <laughs> why? Why do we avoid it? I've been there. I know it sounds crazy from the growth group guy, but I, I've been there. And we covered pride and maybe the fear of being known, but maybe we avoid true community because we we're telling ourselves we already have it. The, the temptation is to think that since we all gather here on Sunday mornings, that's that's Christian community, brothers. This is a grace from the Lord that we're hearing the the word preached, singing truth, taking communion together, seeing people get baptized. It's a grace. It's so awesome that we have this. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying this isn't all there is to it. That's, that's That's a Western maybe lie or concept that we just, we just show up here on Sunday and that's it for community. I get to step on your toes a little bit. I'm the, I'm the growth group guy. But I'm, I'm not trying to persuade you to come around to my way of thinking. It's how I believe God teaches us clearly from His Word that we all need true biblical community, not just as a command, as an obligation. I'm not heaping something else on you. Okay, Art, I've got to be in community. Give me one of those growth group pamphlets. That's not it. I'm not trying to persuade you or, or heap a burden on you. I, I want you to see that it's, it's God's gift to you because he loves you, that he wants you to be in community, to be known, to know others, to love and to be loved. That's a gift, not a burden. So please don't don't fool yourself by just limiting the thought of community to Sunday morning. I mean, I I can sit in a movie theater and, and, and when Captain America picks up the hammer, we can all cheer together. If that's a spoiler, I'm sorry, you should have seen it by now, okay? The, the, the spoiler alert has been lifted. So I can, I can be cheering along with a total stranger next to me that, that Captain America is worthy to, to lift the, the hammer. I, I can be in Nayland Stadium 
surrounded by 103,000 or so folks, and we can all scream together at the occasional uh, Tennessee (laughs) touchdown, okay? But I don't know those people. They don't know me. That's not real community. Who do you know here? Who are you known by? Don't settle for the appearance of community. Don't settle for surfacy relationship. Pursue real community. Invite someone to lunch today after service. Again, all the introverts are like, do I really want this? Trust me, this is coming from an introvert. You want to be known. You, You want to know others. This is God's gift to you. Don't wait for someone to pursue you. You pursue. You do it. Invite someone this week to join you in what you already love doing and something that you're already doing. This is not a trick question. Do you eat? Yes, Yes, invite somebody. (laughs) Do you drink coffee? Some of you, no, that's fine. Well, you all drink a, okay, drink tea. If you drink, invite somebody to have a cup of coffee with you. What are you already doing? Hiking, camping, movies, kids, play date. Man, for those with young kids, you know what it's like to be able to sit down with another parent and let the kids entertain themselves and play for just a minute. That's nice. Okay, something that you're already doing. Step out and risk it. God has designed you to know and to be known by your fellow believers. Okay, and it's not just a the, the growth group rallying call. Okay, it's also about church membership. I would encourage you to ask if that's not been a commitment that you're willing to make, why? Why? The, the, the protection, the love, the accountability that's offered there, it's a grace and a kindness from God. Solomon gives us four reasons. Verse 9, two are better than one. They have a good reward for their toil. This isn't limited to just monetary return on getting work done. It would be the this, this satisfaction, the bond that's forged together. Okay, from management to military, this, this rings true. I think about um, E.B. Sledge, the sledgehammer, and, and with the old breed. He, he fought in, in World War II in the Pacific Theater, in Peleliu and Okinawa, in places that you don't want to know about, saw things that people shouldn't have to see. And, and what sustained him was not military might, It was the the devotion, the loyalty, and the love of the soldiers around him for each other. That's what sustained him in a place where no person should have to be. He would have never made it alone. Verse 10, what about if they fall? One one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who's alone. He falls and has not another to lift him up. I I resisted the low-hanging fruit here as long as I could, and then I just gave into it. Okay, so do you remember the the commercial I've fallen in? I can't give up, or can't get up. Okay, if you're 80s, 90s, this lady falls down, she can't get up. Now, the reason that you may remember that is there's some truth to it. If you're alone, you fall down, and you can't get up, what do you do? When this is written, Ecclesiastes is written, they didn't have flashlights, they didn't have their 
little flashlight app on their phone to, to figure out what was going on to see where they were going at night. Torches run out after a little while. So if they're walking around at night, there's real risk of falling into something or onto something. For us, though, even now, when you're physically hurt, it's better to have community than to be alone. It's better to have someone pick you up. Because I, I know this works against your, perhaps your mentality of, this is America, this is who I am, I pick myself back up. There's going to come a time where you can't, where you will not be able to pick yourself back up. And I don't know what that looks like. It may not be physical. It could be depression. It could be anxiety. It could be some kind of mental anguish that, that we don't even understand. But what a kindness from God to not be alone in it, to have a brother or sister who knows you, you know them, and they pick you back up. Verse 11, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? So two are better than one for warmth. And I know that in our hyper-sexualized culture, mixed with men needing to be seen as manly and settling for fist bumps and awkward side hugs, right? Perhaps we read verse 11, and it makes us uncomfortable to think about huddling together for warmth. Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to set aside your discomfort and see the wisdom in the simple truth that two are warmer than one. When Ecclesiastes was written, travelers would have thought not just the, the wisdom of this, but the necessity for survival to huddle together to stay warm. You know this, there's times, maybe it's not physical, again, live in these nice warm houses, perhaps it's not physical, but you know there are times where you've grown cold. Maybe that is a time right now. Spiritually, emotionally, you are growing cold. You need a brother or sister to warm you with encouragement, to fan that flame of your faith, to warm you spiritually with a prayer, with a song, with a verse. We all know the analogy of the, the hot coal that's plucked out of the fire and set to the side and how quickly it grows cold. And then when it's placed back in, how immediately... It, it flames in bright white heat again. Community is better than isolation. Verse 12, And though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Protection. Two attackers would prevail against one, but not against two. Three would even be better. I love biblical math. Okay, it, struggle with that, but I, I get it. Two's better than one, three's better than two. I can track with that. We see this in nature, okay? Okay, I love, I love my little meerkats, okay? You think that one dude in the middle would be brave enough to take on the cobra if he doesn't have his community <laughs> around him? That's what they do. They gather together to protect themselves. We recognize the wisdom of strength and numbers. Thanks for moving, because it's, it's just easy to get caught in that. It's mesmerizing. <laughs> what happens next? What happens next? <laughs> I think the cobra goes away because he's outnumbered. <laughs> so I want to encourage some of you, though. 
you hear protection. You hear community is for protection. And some of you have been hurt by the very ones that you were trying to protect. You've humbled yourself. You've extended yourself. You took the risk of being known and knowing others, and you were reviled for it. And if you haven't been hurt yet in community, you will be. I don't want to paint. I don't want to paint some rosy picture for you as the growth group guy that it's all rainbows and unicorns and flowers and community. It's not. It can't be because it's inevitable because each of us are sinners in community with other sinners. So the thought of community being about protection might be a hard truth for some of you today. So then, what, how do you respond? How do you respond when you've been hurt by community? One, I would challenge you to look at it practically. Measure the number of times that community has been used by God to bless you, to encourage you, have helped you instead of harmed you. And then I would ask the Spirit to help you. And this is, this is my challenge. Spirit, help me not be ruled by my most recent experience. Help me. Help me see the whole of your plan and what you're doing and, and to not allow my emotions to be ruled by my most recent experience. Two, you could apply the lesson of Ecclesiastes, okay? Sometimes like the answer's right there in front of you and, and, and we miss it. Ecclesiastes, why is the world the way that it is? It's a mystery. It's vexing. It's inexplicable. God organizes the world this way. Hevel. He organizes the world this way. Even he organizes our pain in community, all of this under the sun, to make us rely on him, to make us rely on the one who will never forsake, never betray, and never harm you. Brothers and sisters, I'll... I'll submit to you. I'll I'll agree it might be easier to isolate, but that doesn't make it wise. This is where we need wisdom, not solitude. The final and wisest option for those of us who find ourselves ambivalent, a, a mixed bag about community, loving it but hurting because of it, wanting it but fearing it, our wisest option would be to look to Christ. Look to the one who is the king. There's no end in sight to the ones that he leads, but yet he came to earth to be oppressed for you, to be reviled on your behalf. Look to Christ who was betrayed by those he loved at his hour of greatest need. Look to the son who was forsaken by the father alone on the cross so that you never have to be. Look to the friend in Christ who sticks closer than a brother. So when we consider Christ and his humility to pursue and redeem us, we're freed. He pursued, he redeemed, he purchased. When we see that, we're freed. We're freed from the results of our pursuit of others. We're freed by His Spirit to continue to pursue others.
We're freed by His Spirit to rejoice when we're insulted for the sake of Christ. We rejoice when we share in His sufferings. When we consider the love that the Father has shown to us through Christ and poured into our hearts by the Spirit, we're free to show that love to others. So as we close, brothers and sisters, I just I want to encourage you, you're not alone. You're not alone. It was Christ who lifted you out of the pit of unbelief. It was Christ who warmed your cold heart to faith. It was Christ who prevailed against the enemy. And it's Christ who protects you this very second. So in just a minute, let's sing. Let's, let's praise the one who brings us true community with himself. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the power of your spirit. Thank you for the pursuit and the redemption of your son. Pursuing us, redeeming us. Rebels who would have been happy to stay in the pit. But that wasn't your plan. Father, you, you loved us and chose to, to save a people to yourself for your glory. So, Father, help us see the, the pain and the joy in community as part of your plan for our good to help us rely on you and to show the truth of the gospel to everyone that we're in relationship with. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.